Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Team Preview Edition, Indianapolis Colts today. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, ready to talk all things indie. Obviously, you know, not exactly the best end of 2021. In fact, I'd argue maybe the worst possible end. I mean, losing your playoff hopes to a bunch of Jaguars fans literally dressed up as clowns. Yeah, I'm, I'm really not sure if they could have, you know, if Hollywood could have honestly scripted a worse ending to you Colts fans, but sorry, I'll, I won't bring that up again, and we'll focus on the good times in 2022, and by we, I mean myself, and none other than PFL's finest, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, I, I think I kind of let Colts Nation down by immediately bringing up negative vibes, but we'll turn that around, we'll stay positive. How are you, my friend? I'm good, man. Um, I'm excited to talk about the Colts, like... And so I don't want this to bring the Colts fans down. So I'll, I'll say it. I'm trying to say it the right way. Like <laughs> Matt Ryan, you know, I wouldn't be that excited about Matt Ryan going to a lot of places, but where he ended up with the Colts, like, I think he might like be the perfect fit. You know, obviously they like a younger guy, you know, that could be leading them into the future. But there are a lot of things about Ryan's game that I think can fit well with what the Colts want to do. So we'll, we'll get into that some more. One of my favorite uh, meaningless random offseason storylines was Reggie Wayne being quoted as saying that he, you know, the similarities, like Matt Ryan is so similar to Peyton Manning that he's throwing up because of it. So the thought of Reggie Wayne, like walking around his house and just projectile vomiting and his family is like, Reggie, stop freaking thinking about Matt Ryan and Peyton, man. Uh, Pretty hilarious stuff. But truly, you know, from one goat to another, we'll see if Matt Ryan is going to be viewed the same way by Colts Nation once his tenure is over. But as we've been doing with these team previews, want to quickly go through some of the coaching changes potentially roster moves both in free agency and the draft and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty quarterback running back wide receiver and tight end fantasy football uh related preview just real quick because i noticed this on a bills video where buffalo bills nation thought we were being dicks by calling gabriel davis a wide receiver too that's much higher than most people actually have him. And all we mean by wide receiver two, wide receivers 13 through 24 in Fantasyland. Wide receiver one is one through 12. Wide receiver three, 25 through 36. That's all we're talking about here. Not trying to insult your guys' favorite players. So we, we appreciate all the interaction with you, you know, non-fancy footballers, just some more real-life crowd, you know, looking for some info on your team. But when we're talking about RB1 versus RB2 versus RB3 or whatnot, truly just trying to rank the guys in terms of production, not trying to insinuate that they aren't capable of being more in the offense. So with all that said, let's look at the coaching staff and all the same key decision makers are back. Frank Reich, fifth season as the team's head coach, 37 and 28 record from 2018 and 2021. And we'll have his fifth straight different week one starting quarterback, offensive coordinator Marcus Bradley. Second year with that title, he did coach quarterbacks in Indy from 2018 to 2020. So Dwayne, The question is, where do we kind of rank Matt Ryan in terms of the Andrew Luck, Jacoby Brissett, Phillip Rivers, Carson Wentz pipeline? Because we did see in this offense in 2018, last time Andrew Luck was there, seventh in pass play rate in non-garbage time situations. And they even ran the second fastest offense in terms of football outsider situation neutral pace. Since then, though, 28th, 26th, and 27th in pass play rate. They've been 25th, 18th, and most recently 32nd in terms of situation neutral pace. I don't think they really get back to, you know, Andrew Luck levels, but at a minimum, maybe we could see this offense embrace a little bit more of a below average pass play rate as opposed to like literally a bottom five offense. Yeah, I mean, they were they were above, you know, the NFL average pretty much across the board as far as how often they wanted to run the ball, regardless of game script. You know, that kind of goes back to some of the stuff you were just talking about. Um, so, I mean, when you look at them last year, 3% above the league average when trailing by four or more points. And whenever they were in a close game, they were actually neutral with the league average. 40% of the time, they chose to run the ball. And then whenever they were leading, 
53% versus the league average of 49%. So these are not the same numbers, though, right, that we've heard, um, like when we've talked about um, the Eagles, uh, even when we talked about the Titans yesterday, like all those numbers were like um, mostly double digit, right, above the, the league averages. The biggest thing for the Colts, um, and, and this may not necessarily be great news for Jonathan Taylor, but could be really good news for Michael Pittman, um, you know, they led – 40% of the time by four or more points. So that's the fourth most in the league last year. The NFL average is 27%. So say they just get more around the league average or say maybe they're at 35%, 32%, and they're just leading less because they're basically league average, right, as far as pass versus run whenever they're within three points of their opponent. So I think there are a lot of ways that we could see them throw the ball a little bit more. But I do believe that in their, you know, in their heart of hearts, like they want to set everything up off the running game, similar to what we talked about with Tennessee yesterday, not quite as run heavy. And, you know, again, you had a former defensive minded coach and Mike Rabel running the Titans. You have Frank Reich running the Colts, right? So there's just two different personalities. I think there's always going to be a chance to throw the ball more when you've got an offensive minded coach. And Carson Wentz did not play great last year. He didn't play as terrible as what some people want to think. But if Matt Ryan can give them a small upgrade, I do think that could be valuable. One thing I will say just real quick, you know, from an accuracy standpoint, Matt Ryan was superior to Carson Wentz at every level of the field last year. Um, behind the line of scrimmage, plus five. This is your adjusted completion percentage, so it removes your drops and throwaways, things like that. So behind the line of scrimmage, plus 5% versus Wentz. Um, one to nine yards down the field, plus 0%. That's the only area where they were neutral. 10 to 19 yards, plus 9%. 20 plus yards plus 5%. And then if we just want to, you know, take a little bit further, when clean plus 6%, when pressured plus 3%, on play action plus 10%. So, like literally, I mean, any way that you can almost think of, Matt Ryan was more accurate than Carson Wentz last year. So, that could be good news for a guy like Michael Pittman, even an Alec Pierce, and and you know, the rotation that I'm sure we will be soon be talking about with the tight ends. And if you wanted to rank every single NFL team, like quarterback aside, there's a case to be made that Matt Ryan is entering a top 10 overall team environment. I mean, look at point differential last year. The top seven teams, number one, Buffalo Bills. Number two, the Dallas Cowboys. Number three, the New England Patriots. Number four, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Five, Kansas City Chiefs. Six, Los Angeles Rams. And at number seven, the Indianapolis Colts at plus 86 points. I mean, the point differential and kind of what you can see between that versus the wins losses can just be staggering some. Sometimes. I mean, to see the 9 and 8 Colts have a plus 86 point differential, and then the 9 and 8 Miami Dolphins have a minus 32 point differential goes to show you, you know, truly how much just one play here and there can make a difference for a team like the Colts. So, yeah, we'll see, Dwayne, but I do agree with everything you said about Matt Ryan objectively being an upgrade over Carson Wentz. As we saw, Matt Ryan was trading the Colts in return for a 2022 third round pick. Basically, as soon as the Falcons started, you know, looking into the Sean Watson sweepstakes, Matt Ryan understandably won the get the hell out of here so best years of his career might be behind him at 37 years old but he was pff's reigning 13th highest graded passer like Dwayne, we saw him be objectively more accurate and just better than carson wentz in an offense that was probably worse i think in terms of what he had to work with offensive line even into his skill position rooms and i didn't see like a drop off in matt ryan's deep ball in a similar manner as like a you know second half 2014 peyton manning or drew Brees in 2019 I think Matt Ryan, even if we're not going to see him get back to like 2016 MVP levels, from a physical standpoint, I think he still has some years ahead of him. Yeah, the thing with Matt Ryan really has been like as he's kind of aged, like I think he's better off in an offense that's trying to deliver through efficiency rather than, you know, like massive volume. Yeah. Like even when you go back to 2016 with Kyle Shanahan, um, he only threw the ball 534 times that year and he finished as the QB3. 
Um, so he's going to be going to an offense that's, that's not, you know, stylistically the exact same, right. As what Shanahan and those teams do, but like the principles are, are, are the same, like not the same scheme, but they want to run the ball to set up play action, to do all these other things. So I do think that there's an opportunity for Matt Ryan to really improve in an efficiency category. Like think even back to like John Elway, whenever he finally won a Super Bowl, right? And it was really in a more like pass balance to balance type offense where you Terrell had Terrell Davis, Davis. baby. Yeah. Yeah, and you had some nice weapons around you, you know, I mean, but Ed McCaffrey and Rod Smith and Sterling, um, you know, Sharp, uh, you know, I mean, nobody was, and I'm saying it's Shannon Sharp, not Sterling, that was the Packers, but Shannon Sharp, like, Shannon Sharp was, like, really a freak, like, at a tight end, but, like, the other guys, nobody ever thought of those as, like, being, like, these elite, you know, top, top, top level number one receivers, but with Elway playing quarterback and then, you know, the right scheme, like, they were able to work through some of those things. So I do think there's an opportunity for Ryan to catch, you know, some some late career efficiency. I know 37 years old seems late, seems old, but, I mean, golly, how, how late we have quarterbacks playing nowadays. And I know Brady, obviously, we can't compare everyone to him. But it seems like we have plenty of quarterbacks getting to that 38, 39, 40-year range. Now, we do see them start to drop off at, at, at different levels. Last year was... Um, the second time in the last six years that Ryan hasn't posted at least an 80 passing grade over at PFF, but still the 76.3, relatively speaking, compared to the rest of the league, as you just mentioned, it's not bad. So I think that this is a good fit for Matt Ryan. I don't expect a ton from him in fantasy, Ian. He's not a guy I'm really targeting, but I think he's ultimately going to end up being good for the overall team, and I think it is good for Michael Pittman. We'll get a little more going on with Matt Ryan when we get to the quarterback, but just quickly recapping the rest of their offseason moves. Carson Wentz obviously traded to Washington in a deal consisting of second-round pick swaps and a pair of third-round picks being sent to Indy. Not too shabby. Running back Marlon Mack left in free agency for the Texans. Shout-out Mack, man. I mean, those two years before Jonathan Taylor got there, I don't think people remember just how good he was. I mean, some of those jump, cat, jump cuts he had out there, truly shady-esque at times. Unfortunately, it wasn't the same coming back from the Achilles. Here's to hoping Mack, you know, refine some of that juice in Houston. Running back Philip Lindsay is seemingly there to replace Mac as their number three back. Jordan Wilkins is someone that's also uh, been out of the picture now. So looking like with the running back depth chart, number one, obviously Jonathan Taylor. Number two, Naeem Hines. And three, tentatively should be Philip Lindsay. Wide receiver T.Y. Hilton remains an unrestricted free agent. We've gotten the reports, though, that he's not ruling out return to Indy. It's one of those kind of situations we need to keep an eye on. So for now, out of the picture, but wouldn't necessarily guarantee that'll still be the case here in a few months and we also had starting wide receiver Zach Paschal 44 starts with this offense from 2018 to 2021 signed a one-year deal with the Eagles so draft picks Cincinnati wide receiver Alec Pierce added the equation with the 53rd overall pick and absolute athletic freak tight end Jelani Woods got added in the third round also took tight end Andrew Ogletree in the sixth round so Dwayne just real quick from a more like roster construction standpoint at wide receiver the Alec Pierce selection, someone that PFF really viewed as more of a field stretching specialist than anything, that seems to me more like T.Y. Hilton insurance, or not so much insurance as just finding the future uh, potential field stretching wide receiver in this offense. With Pascal out of the group, adding Jelani Woods to split stuff with Mo Alley Cox and Kylan Granson. Michael Pittman, man, really one of the more undisputed number one pass game options in the entire league. Yeah, I mean, Pierce, um, it's it's like, you know, I didn't necessarily see like what everyone else at PFF saw, like from just like is just as explosive plays and a lot of those things didn't necessarily, you know, come through in the data, right? So like as far as looking at him on film and the way he was used, you know, um, yeah, I agree he was used more downfield, but I don't know that that's the way he'll be used in the NFL. But regardless, like to your point, it's like Michael Pittman, 
when I look at like I don't know, man. Like I can, I'm trying to think of another depth chart where I think a player has a more wide open path to targets. Like I'm just I'm thinking like off the top of my Diggs, head, like Diggs is up there. Yeah, Diggs is up there, but even Gabriel Davis, we would say probably we think more of right Fair. now than Alec Pierce. Like, but tra- but, a, but it's a path heavy. Yeah, Kelsey would be there, you know. So, but he's definitely like he's got to be. There's no way he's not in like the top five or six, right? Yeah, I think he's got to. I think he's got to be there. So, um, yeah. I mean, when it comes to Michael Pittman, for me, like, and we'll talk about it more in a minute. But yeah, the everything's kind of laying out perfectly for him with the addition of Matt Ryan and then looking at this roster. Let's look at this roster roster specifically now. Starting off with Matt Ryan at quarterback, PFF passing grade of 80.0 or higher in all but two of his first 11 seasons. He has finished at 76.0 or worse in two of his last three years, though. Looking at him from a pure fantasy points per game perspective, we haven't seen him kind of refine that legit, legit top five, top ten ceiling that he had for extended stretches. I mean, from 2012 to 2021, here are his finishes and fantasy points per game: QB8, 18, 8. 26, 2, 18, 2, and that happened in 2018. In the three years since, though, 12, 14, and last year, just QB 25 in fantasy points per game. Obviously, not having Julio, not having Ridley. It wasn't making things easy for him out there. But, man, you look even at the 2019, 2020 years. At this point, Dwayne, he was more so just getting by on volume than anything, and that really wasn't the case in 2021 where they were, you know, 10th in situation neutral pass play rate. In 2018 and 2019, though, they were a top five unit in both of those campaigns. So, you know, I'm not going to fully hold this 2021 season against him. I don't think he's, you know, should be someone that's looked at as, you know, the 20 QB 25, even though we might have him ranked in there because of the, uh, you know, just run first nature of this offense. I guess to Matt Ryan, the question is like, how much better can he really get? Like, do we still think he has that top five overall upside? Because to your point, he's going to need to probably, you know, refine some of that 2016 level efficiency in order to make up for the last of pass, pass attempts. We've never had a rushing floor here I just don't know if Matt Ryan is anything more than another one of these quarterbacks in you know the late QB2 borderline QB2 tier where we're not necessarily ranking him that far ahead of Tannehill Daniel Jones Tua Zach Wilson all these guys he's more so going to be the pick you know if we happen to have already grabbed Michael Pittman earlier in the draft yeah absolutely I mean when we just ask ourselves what does this offense want to do they want to win with efficiency. They don't want to drop back and throw the ball all the time. Like the, the, they may throw the ball a little bit more than they did last year, but I think you know with where Matt Ryan is in his career, you look at the the weapons around Matt Ryan. Those don't scream, "Hey, we should we should throw the ball all the time." You look at the offensive line, how well they run block. You've got Jonathan Taylor. I mean, think everything adds up to like you should still be at a minimum like a straight up balanced team, if not run balanced. But when you look at Matt Ryan in 2016, we talked about his 534 passing attempts, which was way less than what he had in 2020 of 626. Um, and you look at that year when he finished QB three, he had a 9.3 yards per attempt. Then two years later, he popped for a QB two finish. He had an 8.1 yards per attempt now in 2016 he had julio jones you know in his absolute prime um you know and then when you look at you know later you also had you still had julio jones in 2018 and then you had you also had calvin ridley you know at that point i believe calvin ridley was a rookie that year in 2018 so yeah with matt ryan like he's not gonna have the same weapons to pop that way but like you know i think if you were talking about hey put a range of outcomes on matt ryan i think high-end qb2 is his upside you know he can give he could give you some wide receiver one weeks but like if we had to project it like right now, you know, and we were like you say, running the Sims on the season, you know, 10,000 times going with a Monte Carlo, like he might get 
25% of his weeks, right? He might have, you know, where he pops into the top 12. But the other 75% of the time, you know, 50% of the time, like he's just going to be right in the middle. Then another 25% of the time, you're going to wish, oh God, like I wish I would have never started Matt Ryan. And not necessarily to your point, because he's bad, but just the way that certain game scripts are going to work out where Matt Ryan's just not going to have to do a lot. And that's going to impact Michael Pittman and and all the receivers as well. Still, I think firmly a top 16 real-life quarterback, but in terms of fantasy, it's just tough, tough for him to get there based on this volume and with the efficiency around these options. Again, we like Michael Pittman. I, maybe Alec Pierce has some promise, but you know, still not exactly an offense overflowing of pass game options that are going to bring out the same sort of you know best-case version of Matt Ryan that we saw working with a prime Julio Jones, you know, just a fantastic version of Mohamed Sanu and Calvin Ridley over the years. So with that said, let's look at the main event, this running back room, Jonathan Taylor, the reigning overall running back one. Now, I've seen some of you jokesters out there on the Twitter sphere already making proclamations about how Taylor won't repeat as the RB1 purely because no one has done this in quite some time, specifically. 2002-2003, I believe, maybe 03-04, Priest Holmes was the last running back to repeat as the overall fantasy QB1. Before him, Marshall Falk did it two years in a row. Since then, though, Dwayne, not only has a running back not repeated as the overall RB1, but we've had like 16 different RB1 running backs since 2004. So, Adanian Tomlinson, in particular, like was the RB2 on several occasions. We saw, you know, McCaffrey lose out to Saquon by like literally a half a point in 20. Um, 18 when Saquon was a rookie. So this isn't to suggest that these guys are necessarily falling off a cliff, but getting that overall RB1 crown has been awfully difficult for a guy to pull off more than once. With Taylor, we need him to be the sort of Super Saiyan monster he was in 2021 in order for him to have a chance at getting that again. Because Dwayne, as you know, the main reason why I faded him going, not faded, but had him ranked, I think, RB11 instead of as someone that, you know, we should really be prioritizing in that range going to last year was the idea that Naeem Hines was going to be enough of a thorn and potentially Marlon Mack to limit Taylor's overall opportunities. And when it's a situation where, yeah, like, I think he's better than pretty much any other running back out there, but if he's going to be getting 50 to 100 fewer combined carries and targets, that's when you start leaning on the other guys. So last year, even with the Colts after about the first five, six weeks where we did kind of see that, you know, rotation come to fruition, even once they turned the whole offense over to Jonathan Taylor, he was the RB7 in expected PPR points per game. Derrick Henry, Najee Harris, Alvin Kamara, Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, and Austin Eckler all averaged more expected PPR points per game than Taylor. Dwayne, already getting Frank Wright saying that, you know, if he was a fantasy owner, he'd be drafting Naeem Hines. Obviously, Hines is a very good pass catching back in his own right. And I don't think he's going to be immediately removed from the offense by any stretch of the imagination. Why are we going back to the well with Jonathan Taylor in 2022, even though his best case volume scenario probably isn't as high as some of these other guys going behind him? It's just the talent, man. (laughs) <laughs> but I mean, you, you can't argue, you know, with, with the opportunity. And I think it's also just because people are afraid of McCaffrey's injury, right? A lot of it has to do with the players around him, but I mean, he's a young, talented, you know, guy, you know, and on a team that does want to run the ball. Um, and that, that helps him, right? That, that, that's always helped Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry's never really been an option in the passing game. He's never really got the passing down work yet he's been able to come through multiple years in a row why because he's on a team that is still committed to running now again we just talked about the Colts they're not on the same level of that as the Titans but I mean they're one of the closer teams you know to them you know they're still gonna you know I would put them you know top six or seven you know in the league as far as we know that they they want to establish it right they want to get the ground game going but I mean the unique thing with Taylor last year 
And it's interesting to hear Reich saying these things. Those kind of comments, honestly, I just dismiss them. Like, give me some sort of substance, Frank Reich. Like, give me, give me something like that ties to your scheme or like something. But just, oh yeah, I'd be drafting Naheem Hines. That's just you trying to keep Naheem Hines hyped about the season and tell the people asking fantasy questions to shut up because you don't want to talk to them at the press conference, so you act positive about it. But anyway, Jonathan Taylor, you know, last year, I mean, from week eight on. You know, the big thing was all about the rushing attempts. 80% of the team rushing attempts, 66, 75, 71, 89%, 76%, 84%, 77%, and crunch time in week 18, which it didn't go well 94% of the time. Um, the other thing that he picked up is once you got to week six, like he was almost, he was over 60% of the routes in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. And that's what surprised me. You know, I, I thought there was probably a path, you know, and once, you know, they weren't using a, a third back. That was the other thing, if you remember last year in the preseason, we were already worried about Naheem Hines taking passing down work. And it was a coaching staff that had historically liked to use, you know, another back just to spell Jonathan Taylor. And they did it in his rookie year, right? We had seen them do it with Marlon Mack back in the day with um, um, Wilkins, right? Wilkins would be out there with Hines. And so, I mean, it's just a situation where we had seen the multiple backs that dated all the way back to the time in Philadelphia for Frank Reich. And so I think there were just enough, you know, scary things. But again, I think Jonathan Taylor is a great example of whenever you do see the talent, you know, sometimes you just got to set all this other stuff aside, you know, and you just got to know that like, look, man, we can't always be the best at predicting these things. And so, and, 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 especially in the NFL, right? There's so much chaos that's out of our control with injuries. Coaches do weird things. Game scripts don't go the way we think. Other injuries on the team can mean all of a sudden more playing time. You know, I get it whenever you've got a bunch of players that are almost the same. You know, give me the guy that I have more assurances around. But right now at running back, we've got a lot of questions up top because a lot of those guys are aging, right? Yeah. And so I think that's the other thing that's helping Jonathan Taylor. If Jonathan Taylor you know, was vying to be the number one running, like say Jonathan Taylor appeared on the scene three years ago, he would not be ranked RB1 going into the season. It would be McCaffrey, yeah. right? Because McCaffrey has the elite passing down role that we know we want, especially in PPR. Standard, you might have had more of a leg to stand on with Taylor, but even then, all the yards McCaffrey gets through the air and he scores a lot of touchdowns as well. CMC probably would have still been the number one across all formats. So a lot of it does still come back to timing of whenever you show up on the scene. And that's not to take away from Jonathan Taylor because he is a fantastic freaking running back. Like when you look at his missed tackles fours per oh. attempt, like 20, 20%, um, you look at the league average 17%. So he's 3% above or three percentage points above yards after contact. I mean, what a freaking beast 3.83. The league average over the last three years is 2.93 explosive rush rate, which is carries of 10 yards or more 15%. The league average is 10 and a half. I mean, Everything he does as far as touching the ball on the ground like is, is not just superior, far superior to what the average backs in the NFL do. So, um, yeah, I mean, with Jonathan Taylor, like you're buying in on the talent, but there could be a scenario. There's multiple paths where he doesn't get as many touches as last year. Like the game scripts could screw him up. Naheem Hines could be more involved. There's a lot of things that could happen, but you just know you're getting an awesome player. And to be fair, with those expected points I was bringing up, if you do go from week six on, Taylor moves from seventh up to third uh, with, you know, kind of over 19 points right there alongside Alvin Kamara and Leonard Fournette, who had that nice three-down roll in Tampa Bay. Dwayne, as I was writing my Indianapolis Colts team preview, which you can all find at pff.com, as I was kind of getting done with my Taylor analysis, I thought I might be, you know, getting to the point where I wanted to drop him down a spot or two. But to your point, and you know what you were talking about where 
these other running backs, there's some red flags there too. It's not like Taylor is the one with the workload problem and everyone else has the workload and just great things going along with him. We know Taylor is right there as the most, the best running back in the league. I think we can say that. If not, you know, you can put Nick Chubb in that conversation. In terms of yeah. having the ball in his hands, the guy is just so incredibly special. Christian McCaffrey, even putting the injury problems aside, I mean, this is a Panthers offense that might have the single worst quarterback room in the league. I'm not so sure they're going to improve as a 29th ranked scoring offense. And hey, we've talked about the potential for Deontay Foreman and just the Panthers trying to keep CMC healthy. Maybe he doesn't all of a sudden have a chance to get 250, 300 carries, has more of an Eckler role moving forward. Speaking of Eckler, he's going to have Isaiah Spiller and John Kelly or Larry Roundtree continuing to take away some of those early down snaps. Like he doesn't really have that that same 400 target and carry upside as Jonathan Taylor, maybe 300. We all know targets are worth more than rush attempts, but with Eckler getting up there a little bit more in years, you know, Taylor does have, you know, the great greater talent in terms of running the ball. Derrick Henry, 1,500 plus carries. I'm way more confident in Taylor continuing to be an exception to the rule versus Henry at this point in his career. And Najee Harris, it's a bad offense. And Najee, let's face it, like he was bad last year. It's hilarious to me how we can only bring up Saquon being bad where Najee Harris, as a freaking rookie, wasn't able hey, to do stop anything. Hey, stop talking about Najee Harris right now, Ian. Stop talking. Okay, Dwayne. <laughs> but with all that in mind, yeah, I think it's fine because Jonathan Taylor, even like even if you wanted to put your chip down on like Christian McCaffrey finishing as the overall RB one in terms of like our ceiling floor outcomes like what's taylor's worst case scenario Dwayne? even if this colts offense which ranked ninth in scoring last year even with carson wentz under center so i don't think that they're worse like okay if matt ryan gets hurt they're screwed but you can say so, that for almost every team like if taylor is just sitting there as number one running back naeem hines because the game script gets you know targets maybe back to 2020 levels like I don't see Taylor finishing outside the top 10, even if a lot of things don't go right for him. And because of that floor, I think that's why he's a deserving one-on-one and fantasy drafts of all, sh- all shapes and sizes. Yeah, I mean, and the way Taylor overcomes, like last year, he was only out there for 17% of the two-minute offense. So Naheem Hines had that role, right? Naheem Hines on the season was out there for 84% of the two-minute offense. But what they started giving Taylor was all of the long down and distance work. So once you get to third and seven, you get to third and six, you get to to second and nine, all that kind of stuff. Before Hines had been getting that plus the two-minute offense, well, at the end of the year, Taylor was really getting all of the long down and distance. The only thing Hines was getting was the two-minute offense. And we already talked about, you know, how his rushing attempts were basically like around the 75 to 80% mark. But the other thing that Taylor gets and what he's really good at, and we talked about this with Derrick Henry yesterday when we talked about the Titans, so his inside the five rushing attempts, yeah, baby. Oh my god, eighty-one percent. There are not very many backs in the league that get that. You know how many times we're watching fantasy football? We're all watching Red Zone. We know you guys are doing it too, and you're sitting there, and your damn back gets pulled out as soon as they get inside the three, or he taps himself on the helmet, right? Oh. And you're like, no, no, no. <laughs> Jonathan Taylor doesn't tap himself on the helmet when he gets no. down in there. Not he even says, if there's feed, a fire. Yeah, he says, "Feed me the ball." So yeah. Um, the long down and distance, picking up that stuff, the inside, the five, you know, picking up all that work. And it's not just inside the five. It's all the short down and distance work. 84% of the time they are in third or fourth down and one to two yards to go. Man, my dogs are so excited about this dude (laughs) that's walking up to my door. Um, 84% of the time in short down and distance, Jonathan Taylor is getting the ball. Dwayne, and those numbers are bonkers for rates. The volume, like the raw volume numbers are even crazier. 26 carries inside the five-yard line last season. The next closest running back, 16. Take Jonathan Taylor and those 26 carries inside the five. Only the Eagles and Cardinals as a team 
had more total rush attempts inside the five-yard line. Like, that is what Taylor is working with. Once they get to the goal line, he is the guy, and he's honestly more ingrained as ever without having to worry about someone like Marlon Mack there, who, you know, I know he's come back from the Achilles, but again, he had some good years with Frank Reich, with that team. I just don't think Philip Lindsay is going to be involved at all at this point. So Jonathan Taylor, the RB1, overall RB1, overall player number one in fantasy football ahead of 2022. Thoughts on Hines and if he has the upside worth chasing here. Because, again, we got that Frank Wright quote. But my kind of takeaway after that, Dwayne, was what you were talking about. How Taylor really started to get on the field in long down and distance towards the end of the year. Look at that Jaguars game. They lost by freaking, and I'm not trying to rub this, you know, rub salt in the wounds. But they lost by 15 points and Naeem Hines in that game. Like, that, you would think that would be the game where Naeem Hines is out there. They're playing from behind. They're trying to throw the ball. He only played nine snaps. He had two total touches. So I just, again, it's more like show me and I'll believe it. But when we have uh, Naeem Hines, he's averaged only 70.5 rush attempts per season, double-digit carries in four of his 68 career games. Not only do, am I skeptical about Hines having this massive pass-down role to be this, you know, PPR uh, godson, but if we see Taylor get hurt, like Philip Lindsay is probably going to be the one getting double-digit rush attempts per game. I'm not saying Lindsay is someone that you need to worry about handcuffing or anything down the road, but like we saw this, man, like even before Taylor was there, it was Marlon Mack, Naeem Hines, and Jordan Wilkins as well. When Mack got hurt, it was always Naeem Hines and Jordan Wilkins splitting things up. I just don't think Naeem Hines has that best-case handcuff scenario at the level of some of these other guys that are going you know, a few rounds after him. Yeah, it's really similar to the J.D. McKissick scenario, yep. right, that we that we talked about um, for the commanders. Um, there's just not a path to clear upside for huge volume um, because they're not going to use him that way, and they're going to let these other guys get involved if something happens to Jonathan Taylor. Now, if something happened to Taylor, obviously his role is going to expand. He would probably then get all the long down and distance and the two-minute offense because if you look at last year at the beginning of the year, um, long down and distance, he was getting 50%, 88%, 64%, 50%. And he was seeing 100% of the two-minute offense, 100%, 71%, 100%. So like he was literally getting all of it. And that's what was killing Taylor. Taylor just couldn't be on the field at all in the passing downs. But like I said, as the season went on, he slowly gave over that long down and distance role. Taylor took on more and more, on that, more of that. And it pretty much became where he was getting, when I say he, Naheem Hines, getting like 20%, 25% of the long down and distance, and then all the two-minute offense. And that was it. So what would happen is, you know, it's that's very game script um, dependent. If you're staying ahead of schedule and you're down in distance, you're having a really good game, that's not going to be very many snaps. And guess what? If you're doing that, you're also probably not trailing very often or you're not in a close game, which means you don't need the two-minute offense. So it's like a double whammy for Naheem Hines. And the other thing that can happen with those, like a lot of his best games end up being you know, a bad game script and where it's just, you're trying you're hoping for the dump downs at the end of the game, right? You know, the, the defense doesn't want to give up the long pass and you're just, you're giving the ball to Naheem Hines, you know, three, four yards down the field. I will say he's a really good receiving running back, like top five in the league, really good at his job. So I don't see a path for, I, I, I wouldn't project a path where Jonathan Taylor takes over all the passing down work because they paid Naheem Hines and he's, he's really like a receiver, like McKissick. He's good at what he does, but to your point, it's just such a narrow scope of work that he has available to him and even if taylor goes down it doesn't expand enough to get me too excited last so we'll, we'll invite frank reich to our fantasy draft and he <laughs> can take naheem hines 
Go ahead, Frank. Knock yourself out. But yes, particularly that skill as a receiver, Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, Naeem Hines, top three running backs in terms of yards per out run in the slot or out wide over the past three years. So, hey, maybe if the Colts decide to do what every team says they're going to do in the offseason, you know, really feature those two running back formations, maybe they can get something going, just not something that we can reasonably expect based on what we've seen so far. But And do people we- do people know why that doesn't work? Like, think about it. Like, if you're a defensive coordinator... And let's say you've got Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor on the field. That means you have to take a tight end away from blocking or you have to take a fullback away from blocking if you want to run the ball. And Naheem Hines, as much as we like him, he's not better than having another receiver on the field. It's like... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't buy it, man. Like defensive coordinators, they would buy that all day long. You know, they can just stay in their base formation. You know, there's less for them to worry about. Like we've talked about this so many times with Chubb and with Hunt. Like it's just not, I mean, you can make a case fine. You want to line Naheem Hines up in the slot, but that's that's not even really the same thing. They're talking about trying to put him out there in the backfield. Like when you do that, like you're basically, you're tipping tipping your hand. And when you do run the ball, what's Naheem Hines going to do? He can't do anything. He's not going to help you at all. And like, if you throw the ball, what's Jonathan Taylor going to do? He's going to block, you know? So it's just, it's not, it's not schematically. Like, it's just not a great look using two backs. That's why you don't see teams use it that much. You see people talk about it all the time, but it never really comes to fruition because it's hard to scratch out an edge. I just, I I get pissed. Not so much in the Colts situation, but like in 2018, when Melvin Gordon was, maybe it was 2019, Melvin Gordon suspended. He comes back and all of a sudden Austin Eckler, who'd been one of the best players in the league, is literally posting snap rates of like 45% while we have Andre Patton playing like every single play and getting, I think, 12 (laughs) total targets like the entire season. So that was a more egregious example. I don't think many running backs deserve it, but you're Tony Pollard's. Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, maybe even Naeem Hines of the world. Like, I don't know, Dwayne. Maybe having them out there as your number three wide receiver is more impactful than, you know, Amari Rodgers, or not to hate on Amari specifically, just... Well, if we were to pick a running back that could do it, Naheem Hines would be in the handful of guys that could do it. But again, then then you're then then you're basically playing him at slot receiver. It's not Mm -hmm. at that point you're not really playing two backs. You know what I mean? We gotta we gotta get my NCAA football playbook out, get that spread option, all that crazy madness going on there. <laughs> but enough of that for now. I want to give you guys a note that this podcast is sponsored by FanDraft. Are you holding an in-person fantasy football draft party this year? Then you need to check out fandraft.com. Fandraft is a modern digitized version of those old sticker boards we used to use at our drafts. However, unlike those outdated sticker boards, FanDraft makes your fantasy draft feel like the actual NFL draft with features such as custom logos, draft clock, team walk-up songs, a streaming news ticker, and much more. FanDraft works by running your league's draft from the FanDraft.com website and then exporting your display onto a large screen TV for the league to enjoy. It can also be used fully online and any number of your league owners can join the draft remotely. So sign up for a free trial account at FanDraft.com. When you're ready to order the pro account, make sure you use promo code PFF to save 15% off your purchase. Again, that's FanDraft.com with code PFF. Also want to note that the best place to play fantasy football this summer is Underdog Fantasy. Their best ball mania tournament has $10 million in total prize money. And the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team and that's it. There's no waivers, no trades, no in-season management. Underdog gives you your best score each week of the season and the highest scores at the end of the year when the champion of best ball mania last year drafted in June. So there's no time like the present to join Underdog and take your shot at a million dollar draft. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the promo code PFF. Also, if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So what the hell are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, play $10 with code PFF, and draft your best ball mania team today. 
Those are some good ad reads, Dwayne. You know, <laughs> sometimes I might stutter around a little bit here or there, but I, I felt good with those. So, main event. I think I said that for running back. So, co main event, Michael Pittman <laughs> in this wide receiver room. I love it, Dwayne. This is someone that we've talked about really throughout the offseason. I am going to pat both of ourselves on the back for really, I think, having Pittman ranked well ahead of the industry back in like March. And now people have kind of caught up. So kudos to us now enough of that, uh, you know, whatever Michael Pittman, my wide receiver 13, he's in this muddle group of players where again, after we kind of get to T Higgins, maybe you want to put AJ Brown in there. There's 11 or 12 wide receivers that we really feel good about. But once you get to 13, there is one red flag or another for these guys. But for Pittman, man, I'm just more willing to overlook him because we've looked at him last year, top 20 marks in yards per route run PFF receiving grade the eye test more than you know passes my god that game against the ravens mossing a dude finding his way into the finding his way into the end zone 49ers had not one but two fantastic touchdowns like the guy is a physical beast with some route running goodness that i think was not seen as much as a rookie but started to develop last year and then get the ball in his hands he's a tough guy to get to the ground because of that size and underrated speed so everything Pittman has done on the field has been great and if you look at his just target and area yard shares last year one of just 11 wide receivers with at least a 25% target share and a 30% air yard share so we don't have to worry about his ability to command a large portion of his team's passing game I mean if you look at these wide receivers that also qualified last year Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson, DJ Moore, DK Metcalf, Darnell Mooney, Stephon Diggs, Deontay Johnson, Brandon, Brandon Cooks, Tyreek Hill, and Michael Pittman. So we have the volume. We have a player that passes the eye test and has the sort of analytics that we look to lean on when trying to discern a player's talent. And then we got the aforementioned quarterback upgrade that might just lead to a larger overall pass game pie. I think, Dwayne, I'm not going to put Pittman necessarily with that top group of receivers because he hasn't put together the sort of wide receiver one season yet that they have. But my God, every other box that we want to try to check Dwayne for a year three breakout, Michael Pittman has it. Yeah, I wrote about him actually, uh, put out a breakout article around wide receivers today. Folks can go check it out over at PFF. I don't just tell you about the breakouts for this year, but basically here's how you find breakouts and how you can do it every single year. So it's kind of uh, something you can continue to apply. Like if you want to use it for dynasty, all that kind of stuff you can. So I encourage you guys to check that out. But like what you just said, Ian, like when I look at Pittman, um, look, I mean, similar target share, targets per route run, yards per route run to who? Keenan Allen and Mike Evans. But he's younger than both of those players. Whenever you look at his um, target share, his targets per route run, you know, all these key things, they also stack up really well with guys like CeeDee Lamb in front of him. Um, you mentioned T. Higgins. He's very favorable to that. He's not as explosive you know, quite as explosive as those two players. So like when you look at his deep target rate and his yak and his explosive play rate, he's, he's a little bit lower than what you see with T Higgins and CD lamb, you know, so Michael Pittman's probably a little more along the lines of being, you know, kind of a possession receiver, not saying he can't do anything after the catch, but he's more along the lines of being that possession type guy, but that's okay, man. Think of the guys we've seen over history, like Brandon Marshall, right? That turn into just absolute beasts playing that kind of role. Um, we also saw Alshon Jeffrey really morph into that, maybe not like in his first season or so, but after that, you know, kind of turned into this type of player. And oh, look who grabs him, Frank Reich, a guy that used to be with the Eagles that had Alshon Jeffrey there. So just looking at Pittman, man, there's just so many things that stack up. 24.9 years old, going into his third season, made a huge jump last year, um, you know, in his rookie, in, from his rookie PFF receiving grade to his second year at a 79.9. So one of the things I did 
um, you know, an easy way to find, you know, future, you know, big producers and fantasy is to find guys that, you know, have already had big fantasy finishes, duh, but you got to state the obvious sometimes, but the way that you can find some of these guys that, that can fall through the cracks. And I think you can also kind of double stack some of these things, you know, guys that had good seasons, but also their underlying data points back that up. Right. Sometimes we'll see these big seasons and the underlying data points will be like really crappy. And we're like, huh, like, can this really last? And then usually it doesn't, you know? So for a guy with Pittman though, like he's definitely double stacking all of these things. So when you look at that PFF receiving grade, that actually, that grades out to, if you look over the last, since 2011, wide receivers that have finished as a wide receiver two. Um, so that's between 13 and 25 in a PPR format, you know, that receiving grade grades out also as a wide receiver two. So now he's got that wide receiver two finish. He's also got a PFF grade that backs that up. So yeah, I'm super, super excited about Michael Pittman. I wouldn't, I have him in a tier with T Higgins, AJ Brown and Jalen Waddle. I don't blame you if you, I have him at 11 overall. His FFPC ADP right now, as of this morning is a 15. His underdog ADP as of this morning is a 13. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty much all in on Pittman. I'm going to have a lot of exposure to Pittman, especially where he's going, um, which is typically in the third round. Um, it's just going to be really hard to pass. He's one of my favorite values right now in fantasy drafts. I th- yeah, we can, I would, I have him ahead of Waddle a little bit there, but I have him right behind, uh, Higgins and AJB. So we're very similar with our spot and kind of tier for Pittman looking at the underdog ADP. You know, because when we're in the third round of draft, especially, we got to also consider, you know, what running backs and tight ends and stuff are going to be available in that range. As we've been seeing recently at tight end, you know, we're seeing Kelsey and Andrews off the board well before Pittman. I don't think... Like I would personally probably take Pittman over the rest of the tight ends in the third round. How do you feel, though, Dwayne, I guess, about Pittman versus those tight ends, if you agree with me? And then more specifically versus James Conner and Saquon Barkley, who are the two running backs going mostly around Pittman. And, you know, we like and do rank as higher running backs than we do Pittman as a receiver. I actually love that whole group of players and I would, I want to mix all of them. Like I love, you know, if you can get Andrews in that spot, I love if you can get Saquon in that spot. I'm we've all, we've talked about James Conner. I think we're the official sponsor of James Conner, like for the 2020, (laughs) 2022 season. Um, knock on wood, James Conner. Um, Sorry, it's a, (laughs) it's a really, it's a really sweet spot, you know, uh, in the draft, but like, to your point, like, I could see arguments, you know, to take a guy like Pittman. I mean, you know, look, it's it's hard. Like, Pittman versus Andrews, that's a really good player. You know, so some of it will come down to your roster construction and what you're trying to achieve. Um, how do you feel about a guy like Kyle Pitts? You know, maybe you want to take Pittman because you're fine with taking Pitts, you know, coming back around the turn, or sometimes Pitts will even come back after that. So um, some of it will come back to what do we think the rest of these ADPs do, and then how do you maximize – the ADPs so that you get the best roster construction. So, you know, when we get into situations where we're asking the kind of questions you are in, that's usually what I'm trying to do is say, okay, well, great. If I pass on Pittman here, what does that mean my next receiver is versus what if I pass on Andrews here? What does that mean I'm most likely getting at tight end, right? Without reaching. I don't want to just turn around and reach the very next pick for a tight end. So we'd have to look at it more, but um, I think it says a lot that Pittman's even in the conversation with all those guys. Absolutely. I mean, those are those are two backs we think are going to be workhorses, and we both love Andrews. So, I agree. All those guys there. Andrews is going more so in round two, so I'm not sure we're going to have that choice. We will go Pittman most likely over Kyle Pitts. More drafts than not. Yeah, 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 I agree. Okay, let's talk a little bit about these complimentary guys. First of all, PFF's 2022 draft guide breakdown on Alec Pierce, courtesy of the great Mike Renner. 
where he wins juice. You'd be hard-pressed to find a receiver in the FBS that stacked corners more consistently on go balls than Pierce. His combination of size and explosiveness was simply too much for the low-level corners he faced. What's his role? Vertical tree specialist. No one stacked corners on go balls more frequently than Pierce in 2021. Some of that is level of competition, but he even did it on multiple occasions against Alabama when he wasn't targeted. His size explosiveness combo is scary, where he can improve with a full route tree. Goes, slants, posts. That was 63.6% of Pierce's receiving yards in 2021. That was by design because he is not the kind of receiver to shake corners at the top of his routes. Dwayne, earlier this offseason, amongst all your fabulous work, one of the really cool parts was you kind of looking at, you know, what the main types of NFL routes were. And if I remember correctly, these sort of ghost lands posts, and I think hitches and curls also factored in heavily into his... Yeah, into the sorts of routes that we should be looking at more often because those are what guys are running more so at the NFL level. So we talked about uh, you know Pierce maybe not having the sort of analytics to show that explosiveness, but how did he kind of grade out in some of your earlier studies? You know, in terms of separation and just how good he was on on these sort of routes that we mostly see at the NFL level. Um, I'll have to pull it back. I'm trying to remember exactly on Pierce, um, so I'm pulling it up now. But like while while we're pulling it up, like I'll up something real quick so like looking at his um you know his explosive play rate or his explosive target rate it was 25 percent. it was uh oops sorry that's one about yeah 25 percent. so it was neutral his career yards per route run were 2.18 which was kind of like the genesis of where i started for all of this route work i wanted to start with a player's yards per route run and then look at okay basically what was their route tree in college and where were they the most successful and so i'm, I'm i can't get pierce's pulled up like right at this moment but i remember you know looking at it like his wasn't as robust as a lot of the other guys. Um, he didn't have as many routes in his bag, but you keep going. I'm, I'm going to go find it though while we're looking. Yep. Or while so we're talking. with this, okay, here we go though. This is interesting. I uh, typed in your lovely, actually a fun trick for all you Twitterers out there. If you ever want to find an old tweet from yourself or even someone else, all you have to do for this advanced search is go to your Twitter search bar, type from colon at, and then the handle space, and then whatever phrase you're looking for. So I typed in from colon at Dwayne McFarlane space Alec Pierce. I get all the tweets Dwayne has ever sent about Alec Pierce. So just a fun little trick for you guys out there if you ever can't remember a uh, tweet from somebody. I just do it with the at and then the name. But yeah, that's nice because that even isolates it. It's If they're only tweets from me, yeah. not me, like what, responding to someone else maybe? Because um, like if you just do the at Dwayne McFarlane and Alec Pierce, anyway, those are both cool ways, yes, to go find something. And you bought me enough time to hopefully like get to Alec Pierce. Awesome. Well, just real quick, <laughs> it looks like he ranked 13th in targets per route against man coverage. Not fantastic. Drake. It was out of 93 receivers, though. So Drake London, number one. David Bell, number two. Javion Haley, number three. Alec Pierce, 13. So Dwayne, the floor is yours. Yeah, I still don't have it, so just do your thing. This is terrible podcasting. Well, you know, we're trying. We're giving people good uh, Twitter tips. I did get a DM from I hit someone. the rankings and tiers one. It has the because they both have Garrett Wilson on the front, and like my brain goes immediately to images. So it's just immediately looking. It's like, oh, there's Garrett Wilson, and I just clicked on it, so I went to it. Um, so I didn't write out the whole thing on Pierce, but like just looking at him, you know, in this chart, Alex Pierce uh, on staple routes. So Staple routes in the NFL, um, the top routes to be used, hitch routes um, equal uh, number one, out routes or second, crossing routes, then slants, then goes, then ends. You know, so those, those routes together make up like 60% of the targets in the NFL. And so when you look at Alec Pierce, um, it's, well, it's not good, buddy. Um, he ranked last in staple route Ooh. yard per route run, 2.26. Velas Jones 
defeated Alec Pierce oh, no. uh, by oh, one no. spot. By one spot. Um, so yeah, um, on the hitch route, he was a three point oh nine, which was right around a little above average. You look at him on the out route, he was well below average. Crossing routes, he was terrible. Slant routes, he was below average. Go routes, which this so this is where Renner talked about the stacking. Mm. He was really good on go routes. Essentially, he was really good on go routes and nothing else. Like his okay. go routes were <laughs> seven point eight five yards per route run. He had. Uh, yeah, but see, then even looking at, yeah, so his go routes, he's ranked third. So, yeah, I mean, but other than that, no, it was not very good. On in routes, a 0.56 yards per route run. So, again, that, so that was, that was like stuck in my consciousness. Maybe I didn't know, but yeah, Alec Pierce was just a guy that I was surprised he got drafted as high as he did. I'm not saying he's not going to be good, right? Like, what, would you say yesterday, like like forty year old nerds, like in their basement, you know, thinking they know more than NFL teams? <laughs> right, right. Like, I'm not gonna be that guy. Like, so once they get the draft capital, like that's a huge thing for us. Um, we still use, you know, these underlying, you know, data points to combine together with the draft capital. But look, if the team's willing to take a shot on him, and you know, this does actually add up with what Renner was saying. Hey, maybe this just helps the offense overall because at yeah. least in year one, he can be a down the field type threat. Maybe they don't expect him to be everything in his route tree. I do remember DK Metcalf. I remember everyone making fun of the fact that he couldn't, you know, run a comeback route. He couldn't break. And guess what? The Seahawks didn't. They didn't care. Yeah. They just said, you know what? We're going to use D, use DK Metcalf the way he's really good. And oh, by the way, we have a quarter. We have a quarterback that also plays really well with DK Metcalf. And now look at us. Like we don't. Nobody talks now about you know DK Metcalf and a and a three cone. Well, and someone like DK Metcalf and maybe Pierce that is good enough at taking the top off the defense, they don't need to be the most pristine route runner in the world to, you know, get that fear in the corner, get them to flip their hips before coming back on the comeback. Like if you're a wide receiver that has no over-the-top speed, like how are you going to get separation anyway when they don't have to respect that part of your game? Anyway, you know, Pierce... Just evaluation aside, I do agree with the point where I think he's going to be a better real-life talent than fantasy asset, at least in the year 2022. Because if T.Y. Hilton does come back, I mean, I think there's a chance that Pierce isn't in the starting lineup. We could even see Pierce splitting time with Ashton Doolin as they make sure he's comfortable in this offense. I give the nod to Pierce, obviously. 53rd overall pick yeah. for a reason. But I really think Paris Campbell, and to a lesser extent, Naeem Hines, like, those are the guys they want to get the ball to in the underneath areas of the field. So Pittman is the alpha one. I think Pierce is going to be more so slotted in as a field stretching specialist. T.Y. Hilton, we've saw, even when he's been active over the last two years, has taken a step back and worked behind Michael Pittman. And yeah, with Zach Pascal out of the picture, there is some available targets, but Dwayne, ultimately, it's a, still going to be a run-first offense with an alpha and Michael Pittman. There's plenty of two tight end formations, and they can honestly lean towards those more than ever after signing Mo Cox and drafting Jelani Woods. I don't really feel the need to, to prioritize these guys in the later round of drafts. I'm not saying you can't draft Pierce or even to a lesser extent Paris Campbell towards the end, but I don't, you know, as, as one of um, my favorite things about your process where you try to look at guys and you go, will we regret not taking Alec Pierce or Paris Campbell, you know, by this time next year? I don't think either guy has a sort of ceiling to really warrant that sort of, uh, you know, scary, uh, what's, the t what's, what's, what's the freaking word I'm looking <laughs> Doesn't for? Doesn't put the fear of God in Ian. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not afraid. I mean, I oh, yeah, I, hold on. I don't have FOMO. That's it. I don't have the fear of missing yeah, out on Alan Pierce yeah. or Paris Campbell. There we go. Yeah. So like with Pierce, I'm fine taking shots on him late. You know, I've got him in tier six A. So I've got Wandell Robinson, Alec Pierce, George Pickens, Van Jefferson, and Miko Hardman all just sitting in a tier together. Um, so I think they're I think it's fine. Like the thing I want to hear with Pierce. Um, and because of what you just mentioned with how often they like to use, you know, 12 personnel, they'll even mix in some 13 personnel. I think the thing we want to hear is Will Pierce be out on the field in two wide receiver sets? 
if he is, because the Colts use that a lot, mm-hmm. if he is, I think that opens up the door for him. And I would probably, you know, move him a little ahead of someone like George Pickens, who right now most likely is not going to see the field unless it's in three wide sets, right? right? Um, now, the Steelers have historically ran a lot of three wide. We don't know if they'll continue to do that with, uh, you know, Trubisky or Pickett playing quarterback. But as far as Alec Pierce goes, if I hear that he's going to be in the two man, you know, offense, you know, the two wide sets in the offense, like that will give me a little bit more. Uh, not he won't move up a lot in my tears or anything, but that'll probably make me just throw a dart at him a little bit more often. I, and, you know, he's got the second round capital. He's going pick 72 on underdog, pick 64 over on FFPC. So it's not like you really have a lot to lose by taking Alec Pierce. You know, I think we could argue that his upside from there, it's not going to make you regret or have FOMO, but you could definitely still squeeze some value out of it. But I think he's definitely got to be out there um, whenever they're in like 21 personnel, when they're running two tight ends, he needs to be on the field. Let's talk about those tight ends. Mo Alley Cox back, signed a three-year, $17.5 million contract, presumably the number one tight end. Realize I forgot to mention earlier in our roster breakdown that Jack Doyle, longtime Colts tight end, did happen to retire. So that's why I love recording these before I publish my articles, Dwayne. I get to adjust them after talking to you and going through this fine process. So with that in mind, Mo Alley Cox, the tight end one. Jelani Woods, though, third-round pick absolute athletic marvel out of freaking Virginia, man. And he was wearing number zero while he was doing it. So like truly, in my opinion, the two largest players in the NFL from the eye test, don't show me their heights or weights, their official statistics. When you see Jelani Woods and Mo Alley Cox in the same offense, it is going to blow your mind because of how large these human beings are. And Jelani Woods, I mean, the ceiling might as well be the roof. If you want to look at Raz score per Kentley Platt, Woods ranks fourth out of 941 tight ends measured from 1987 to 2022. Earlier in his career, he was used more as a run blocker. Only recently in his final year at Virginia did he get a chance to catch. Did have some problems with drops along the way. So, unfortunately, Dwayne, I wish we had Moali Cox as the only tight end in this offense. I wish we had Jelani Woods as the only tight end. Hell, if Kylan Granson, their number three tight end, was just the only guy in Indy, we could maybe talk ourselves into him being a top 15 option or at least someone worthy of drafting in the later rounds of fantasy drafts. Because, look, Colts tight ends, they're fifth in targets and they're 12th in routes under Frank Reich since 2018, even in this run-heavy offense. Like, they love using the tight end, and that's something that we can look at Frank Reich's entire coaching career and see very clearly. But, man, we already talked about two tight end committees being awfully difficult to get behind in fantasy land. I think they're going to use three once again, man. They did it last year. They've really done it in the most, like ever since Eric Ebron in 2018, they've been consistently using three tight ends on a weekly basis. And, you know, in this offense, I don't think someone really has a higher ceiling than, I don't know, 60, 70 targets, best case. And this, you know, I'm okay taking a chance on someone like Gerald Everett potentially with that sort of target volume because of the sort of pass-happy offense you're looking at with the potential for double-digit touchdowns. And I just don't think any of these guys have it. So Mo Ali Cox is my tight end 26, Jelani Woods tight end 35, but ultimately guys that unless there's going to be one, maybe even two injuries, I just don't think they're going to be um, on, on the fantasy radar more weeks than not in 2022. Yeah, we're on the same page. I mean, you, you mentioned all the things, run heavy offense, three-way rotation, even though we know Mo Ali Cox will probably lead the way, he'll now be the Jack Doyle. Um, so he's going to come through with some games, but how confident are we that there's really any shot that he becomes like an 80% route player? You know, even if he could just get to like 65 or 70, we'd probably be okay. But, but even then, like you're going to really, it's going to have to be a best ball type scenario. You're never going to know when to start him. I will say that Moelle Cox has flashed 
Um, a 2.07 yards per route run two seasons ago. Now, last year it dropped down to a 1.28. PFF receiving grade, uh, PFF receiving grade two years ago, 76.6, but that dropped down to a 59.4 last season. The two years before that, he just didn't have enough routes to really, you know, be able to count on the data to give him any kind of grade. So he's had one year where he's kind of like, you're like, oh, wow, look at more of the Cox. And the next year, you're like, ah. Oh. So, but look, he's had both. Like, so we see players like that, you know, all of a sudden they'll kind of define which one they are or they'll land somewhere in the middle. And for me, my guess is Moelle Cox lands somewhere in the middle of those two stories. Um, I think the big way that, uh, you know, Mac, you know, could really come through for us is like, could he catch a lot of touchdowns? Like, but the problem is like, Pierce is a tall guy. Pittman's a tall guy. Jelani Woods is a really big guy. And Mo Ali Cox is a big guy. So it's not like they're starved for end zone weapons. And you'll see this with a lot of these teams that have a lot of guys that are like 6'3", 6'5". And according to Ian, Mo Ali Cox and Jelani Woods are both 6'11". Um, so when you have those kind of weapons, you'll see that a lot of times you don't see like what, so Mark Andrews, for example, will see 30 to 35% of the targets in the end zone. Like Molly Cox isn't going to have that chance just because of all the other guys around him. But if he could get to 20, 25%, like then he could come through with like a seven touchdown season, something like that, and make it worth having him on your roster. But again, it's going to be so tough to know when to start him. Truly. I mean, Eric Ebron had that big 2018 season, 13 touchdowns on 108 targets from Andrew Luck. Since then, though, in three seasons, Jack Doyle in 2019 had 69 targets. No other tight end hit even 50 targets, man, over these last three years. So it's to me, I look at Mo Ali Cox like similar to David Njoku. He's someone that I was fine ranking as a top 20 upside tight end to tight end after Jack Doyle left. And with David Njoku, once Austin Hooper left, we knew Harrison Bryant was also going to be involved. And I still believe that but as the lead good pass catcher in a committee when we have him getting paid i would have been down from O'Alley cox if they didn't use that day two draft capital on jelani woods that's ultimate that ultimately was a deal breaker for me like when you add woods to the added woods to the equation where they did like you don't take him on the third round if you're not going to have a year one role ready for him they gave granson a year one role last year even despite him not even having that same sort of draft capital so ali cox woods granson like i think it's a perfectly solid if not really good real life tight end core just not enough volume for us to get behind in fantasy land that's going to about wrap things up. Let's quickly summarize where we kind of landed on these guys. Matt Ryan, fantastic real-life upgrade for the Colts, but not necessarily expecting him to have the sort of passing volume or high-end efficiency to get back to giving us those QB1 performances. Maybe he overachieves. Even then, though, we're not expecting much more than an upside QB2. That leaves him kind of with the Zach Wilsons, Tua's of the world, as, you know, in that late-round quarterback mix that you're not going to really touch in one QB leagues. Maybe you stack them in a best ball. Jonathan Taylor, the overall RB1, thanks to a large, albeit not the largest workload, but my God, trust that talent, ride him, ride him. Naeem Hines, pretty much like J.D. McKissick, we are not buying Frank Reich's uh, just propaganda in the offseason. I can't have it, won't have it. Uh, wide receiver, Michael Pittman, Dwayne and I are both at consensus now, but y'all caught up. We've been ahead on him. Wide receiver 13 for me, wide receiver 11 for Dwayne. We are happy to scoop up. That's Pittman. still ahead of ADP for yeah. the most part. Good, so. good. It better be. Uh, happy to scoop <laughs> him up. We're going to have to keep moving him up. <laughs> <laughs> happy to scoop him up in the third round of fantasy drafts of all shapes and sizes. Alec Pierce may be worthy of a late round dart, particularly if he can get that role as a starter in two wide receiver sets. And unfortunately, these tight ends just not going to be touching them, really, unless we're in a tight end premium league due to the likelihood that there's going to be three guys involved likely no one's going to see more than 50 60 targets that about sound right Dwayne that sounds exactly right Ian 
Hell yes. And that's going to thus wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We will be back tomorrow with Houston Texans goodness, followed by that, the Jacksonville Jaguars, just really ripping off the best teams in the league here back-to-back. And then after that, I think we get to the West teams, but we'll worry about that in the future. Anything else you want to get off your chest, Mr. McFarlane? No, like I mentioned, uh, you guys can go check out the wide receiver breakout article came out today, tight end tier article. So you guys, you know, I think we've had a lot of good feedback on, you know, some of the new visuals looking kind of at these, like a heat map, looking at the player's talent, then also looking at the situation. So that will drop tomorrow um, on tight ends. So now you'll have that for both wide receivers, tight ends. Now I need to circle back to my running back tiers next week and, and get those in shape and add the goodness that, you know, everybody seems to like. So working on that and, uh, Enjoy the weekend, everybody. Absolutely. As always, you can catch Well, hell, my- I don't know when, when this is going to come out. Like, somebody's going to be like on a Tuesday. Somebody's, but you know what? <laughs> it's still positive vibes. If it's a Tuesday, by the time that Friday gets here, you'll be ready. I kind of like live, like, all right, like a 50% or, okay, if working and opposite of a weekend is like 0% and the weekend not doing anything, it's 100%. I like to forever kind of live in like a 50% range, Dwayne. You know, every day is like a little bit of a weekend and the weekends, I just feel better if I can get a little something done. I'm not going to, you know, break my back. I think it is important to take time off, but you know what? That just chilling and doing nothing all day, it feels a lot better if you're able to go touch some grass first, maybe just get a little bit of work done. Just my two cents. Uh, it's obviously a lot easier to get some work in when we are blessed enough to make that work, uh, just barking about fantasy football so fully realize that but yeah Dwayne I'm gonna be in Wisconsin uh this weekend or I guess in the past for the viewers touching some serious grass up in Green Bay I'll let you guys know if I you know find out any news from the locals about what the Packers are doing at wide receiver (laughs) this year uh but I've been told that the cabin is not gonna have good wi-fi or cell connection so yeah man living in the uh 1800s for a weekend how about that yeah you got to do it sometimes Ian you got to you know and I, I know you like to get away and touch some grass, like in multiple ways. So, you know, have some fun. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.